Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work slant. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and today I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Amanda. Say hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. (laughs) And she is my sister, my sister from another mister, if you will. That is true. That is true. All right, so maybe you'd like to let the listeners know how we met, because it's an interesting story. Yeah, um, I grew up not knowing my biological father, and when I was 24 years old, I finally found him, and it turns out that I also found a sister along the way. So 11 years ago we met. Um, it's been 11 years already. It has been mm. 11 years that your dad is my dad. So there you are. Yeah. That's how we are sisters. (laughs) Sisters. Sisters. (laughs) (laughs) And um, you had mentioned when when I told you that I was starting a podcast Mm -hmm. that you were very excited about joining me. Dude, I'm all about the podcast. So to be (laughs) on one at all is, yep, I'm on it. I'm in. Count me in. Uh, And you are unique to me in that I don't have a lot of people I feel comfortable talking to about certain things. I try to be comfortable with everyone talking about everything, but yeah. they're not always comfortable talking to me. Yeah, people are weird, so <laughs> I'm glad I made the cut. I'm glad I made the cut. So today we were at a family event, uh, and there was some unusual behaviors that mm-hmm. I was noticing. And well, unusual to un- you. Unusual to me, yeah. right. And so yeah. what I was going to say is uh, you can't see her on the other side of this podcast. No. Um, Amanda looks very much like her dad, who is Irish, mm-hmm. but <laughs> Amanda is actually half Mexican. I am. Hola. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so jealous that I can't speak Spanish, um, but we'll talk about that later, so uh, save yeah. that topic. We will talk about that later, I have lots to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, to me, uh, Spanish culture is something that I'm interested in, but I don't have a lot of first-hand knowledge of. And so today when we were at this family event, um, things that were unusual to me, but I, and I also don't want to be that white person stereotyping Hispanic Mm -hmm, people. mm -hmm. So I'm careful when I ask, is that just a jerk behavior (laughs) to me? Yeah. Um, That's my, you know, an opinion. Well, that's what struck this conversation because Mm -hmm. in that particular instance, yes, it was a jerk behavior, but it it triggered um, why it's culturally acceptable in that regard so right yeah we can dig into the topic so yeah yeah do you want to well yeah you you had questioned like basically somebody there at the family event was a male a male was um very adamant about the fact that he needed to be served he needed to be served his drinks he needed to be served his coffee he probably would want us to wipe his rear if (laughs) if that were in uh, something that he needed that day because women serve men in the Hispanic culture mm-hmm. and so we were going to talk about um, why that is or why we might perceive it to be that and how I saw that and was raised that way being raised in the Hispanic culture because yes like Hallie said I don't look Mexican <laughs> but I am so yeah. I did grow up feeling um, ostracized is that the right word or an yeah. outcast mm-hmm. there was even jokes made when I was a kid that I was the milkman's baby or the garbage truck's baby because I didn't look like anybody right the rest of your family all they're brown look dark eyed. yeah they look yeah. like Hispanics 
Yeah. Because they are. <laughs> <laughs> they all, though, they all have Hispanic fathers and Hispanic mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to get an Irish daddy. So, um, anyway, growing up, I was teased, not teased by outsiders, but teased by my family that, you know, I'm the white girl, which in Spanish is called Huera. And so I was called that a lot of my um, youth is the Huera because I'm white. But, fun fact, I didn't speak English until I started going to public school, <laughs> which I'm sure blew the minds of my kindergarten teacher. Like, who is this white girl <laughs> who's speaking Spanish and I'm having to teach how to speak English? That's weird. Right. But to circle back to the culture, um, I did witness that. I mean, I lived with a lot of my aunts growing up, and I'll stick to the one aunt in particular that I grew up the most with. And yeah, absolutely, she waited on my uncle hand and foot. Mm-hmm. She also had a job, but, you know, when they were home, she was serving him. And I, I, I'm careful to not say the word servant because it didn't feel like she felt like she was forced, like mm-hmm. she was some sort of Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you just did it. You yeah. just got up. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but before I knew that the coffee wasn't for my uncle um, and he just said, hey, could you get me some coffee for Uncle Bob? didn't even blink an eye, jumped right up and went and got it. Because right. That's and just and how that's what kind of got my attention was yeah. I'm watching this all happen, not just with you, although it ended up being targeted to it you. It get targeted to me. Um, yeah. But, <coughs> excuse me, it was happening to other females yeah. in, in the room before that. And, and if... Even like, older females, which really surprised me yeah, because older yeah. generation of the person asking. Yeah, because you would think that the old elderly women would be served or helped to their chair or have the chair pulled out or whatever. And and it wasn't as if the women were being told, go get me this, go serve me, go do that. They just knew mm-hmm. that that was their job. Mm-hmm. Whether it was me in my 30s. Or another woman who's in her 60s. It didn't right. matter. We serve the men. Yeah. Because that's how I was raised. That's how the Hispanic culture is, which I and, was going to... And caveat real quick. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we, we don't want to uh, minimize, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Hispanic culture. We don't want to say that it's wrong or right. And it could have been... Somebody else's household <coughs> may not have been... Exactly. I don't want to say every yeah. single yeah, Hispanic yeah. family or culture is the same. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not. But there is... You know, stereotypes and generalizations for a reason, just like there are for every culture. Everything. So, and your experience is what we're talking about today. So, yeah. I just want to make that little yes, caveat. just me. I'm not talking about anybody else's household, <laughs> just what I experienced. Yeah. Um, and how it seems to be a little different, which um, I am married to a white man. A white man. <laughs> He's very white. <laughs> and um, listening to him explain to me his childhood, there's one thing in particular that I remember that... Um, on Saturdays was chore days. Mm-hmm. His mo- his mother, he it's my husband and his brother, so there's two boys in the house. Um, and maybe it was different because they were boys. I don't know what it would have been like if she had a daughter. But mm-hmm. on Saturdays was chore day. And, you know, their dad would be outside chopping wood or doing whatever. And the boys had to do the dishes, had to do the laundry, had to vacuum, had to dust. Like, they had to do all their chores before they could do anything else. And that is not how I grew up. Like, right. the boys... Or playing video games or outside <laughs> on their bikes or tinkering with cars. That was a big thing. Tinkering with the cars all the time. And the women were just cleaning all mm-hmm. the time. They were never expected to clean. Which I will say, I very much appreciate my mother-in-law for that. Because there are times <laughs> where my husband will clean and he will clean better than I do sometimes. Because he was, 
taught how mm-hmm. and not it was an opposite dynamic in and it house. was expected of him not mm-hmm. it wasn't a privilege to not do it it well, was he couldn't go do right anything fun until he got it done so i'm sure there was some moaning and groaning involved but he <laughs> did it and so i don't know we had very different uh sides to that because mm-hmm. from the sounds of his explanation it wasn't the same mm-hmm. and he's white how does your family feel about marrying into a white family? Well, I've never felt that they disapproved in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and again, I'm speaking just for the the clan of Mexicans that I know and <laughs> that I'm related to. Right. They're very loud. And even though I am saying that this is my own family, I'm pretty sure anybody Hispanic listening to this will agree Mexicans are loud, <laughs> especially at parties. Or gatherings, and so they've always been really accepting of him. They've always been. Um, Are you warm. saying your husband's loud? He's not loud. No, <laughs> my family is, and he's intimidated by that. He's like, "Oh my gosh," you know. There's in, one aunt in particular that's boisterous. Boisterous. I like that. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, they've always been very accepting of him, and they never really. I've never heard anyone say a negative comment about his race and mm-hmm. me marrying that race. Um, it's funny because at my wedding if you remember the very first what 15 20 minutes maybe longer of dancing once it became like dance time and party time um it was all mariachi music Mm -hmm. and mexican music and the carnal stuff so it was um and delicious mexican food oh and (laughs) if you remember all my aunts served everyone yeah no there was no assembly line but at that time i didn't think about it because it was a wedding and they were helping you it wasn't a scenario where they were necessarily being asked to do it. It just felt just, like and they I wanted to do it. And I never asked my aunt to do that. <coughs> yeah. Never asked her. I asked her to make the food, but I never asked her to serve. And basically, it looked like I had wait staff at my wedding, mm-hmm. and they were just my cousins. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because that's just what you do. You just go serve it. Well, and that's another point to be made. Why did I not notice it when it was females? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole other gender issue is... Uh, yeah, you know, why do we think it's normal for women to wait on people regardless of their gender? Yeah. And even more so in specific yeah. cultures, so. And even just taking the culture part out of it, um, me and my own personal opinion, I do feel like there are things that a woman should do for her family or for her husband. Like, I mean, I'm a stay-at-home mom for the most part, and, you know, when my husband gets home, I want to have a hot meal for him. Mm-hmm. I want his clothes to be folded and clean. I want, um, you know, I want him to know that he can reach in his drawers and find what he needs because his laundry's been done. Mm-hmm. Do I do it all the time and perfectly? No, but I do have that sense of I need to serve him, and I'm saying that in quotes, it, to an extent. But mm-hmm. also, he's very helpful, too. Do you think it. that comes from your culture background, or do you think it comes from the fact that he's breadwinning and that you're trying to take care of the household? Do you know what I, I mean? Yes. I think... Or maybe a combination of both. It's a combo, but I think it's generational. Mm. Um, I think that it's the breadwinning thing, too, because I work, but I don't, you know, get up at the crack of dawn and come home at dark, and I don't work a um, physically demanding job the Mm -hmm. way he does. And so I still have that sense of obligation to make sure he's comfortable and taken care of because that's his house and he should feel that way mm-hmm. so I think in that part it's a more generational thing not so mm. much cultural but I did grow up in that culture so maybe it's just ingrained in me because that's what I saw growing up mm-hmm. so I don't know 
That's what I said about that. <laughs> so, do you have any other questions for me on that paper? I have lots of questions okay, for you. Okay, let's go. Let's go to Q&A. <laughs> well, uh, I kind of wanted to circle back around when you were talking about your background and you were talking about being teased. Oh, yeah, yeah. For yeah. being... Yeah, oh, I was going to... What did you say that? Wera. Yeah. Wera. Wera. Yeah, right. I'm not going to say it. Forget Better. it. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> I'm white. I don't know if you forgot. Did we just meet? No. Um, but I wondered if the topic of ever being too ethnic or not ethnic enough would come up. Do you know um, what I mean by that? Like I do. I hear it often when I hear about, um, in the black community, the light-skinned and dark-skinned debates will happen and they're acting just, too white which is just acting, yeah well not even just acting but even their skin color is uh -huh. not dark enough mm -hmm. in some which is just crazy to me mm -hmm. um but yeah so the lighter skinned people will get made fun of mm -hmm. even though mm -hmm. they're african-american mm -hmm. and so i wondered if not only because you spoke spanish as a young child and you grew up in a completely hispanic household uh -huh. out in the world mm -hmm. when people no, because there is such a thing as white privilege. We have to acknowledge that. That's true. And so did you find it, I guess, did you find it times when you felt too ethnic or not ethnic enough? Did you find it an advantage to look more white at times? Mm -hmm. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit. I found it to be a, a, not a negative thing, though. Like, I think what, the only thing I can really think of offhand with that question is when people found out that I was Mexican and when people found out that I could speak Spanish, that brought a lot of attention. Mm. And I know from their perspective was like positive and intriguing and they were wanted to know more and they wanted me to say stuff and they wanted to hear <laughs> me talk. And they always, always, always wanted to know, how did you learn how to speak Spanish so well? And then they would find out, no way, you're half Mexican, there's no way. So it always came to me, positively but I did get attention from it from outside of the house I've just noticed that people act differently I've been around people where if we're standing in a grocery store and there's white people standing around us then um, my conversation with those people are very white or the description of a grocery item is very white or English or whatever mm -hmm. but if I'm standing in the grocery store and there's Mexicans standing around us it gets very Mexican. <laughs> it, you know, the, the products on the shelf get described in Spanish, but very Mexican-like. And I don't know. And I found that irritating, but it is... I don't know why. I can't say why that happened. I just mm. know that maybe for attention, they wanted the people around them to know that, oh, you're Mexican, so am I. Or, oh, you're white, so am I. So, but... Do you think it's more of a feeling of the need to fit in, or do you think it's more of a, I want to... Um, connect with my group, so to speak, my, my tribe. I would have to say it's probably both of those things, but I've never thought of it that way. I've always been irritated by it. Because <laughs> it wasn't ever, and maybe I have done it and not noticed, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't me doing those things. It was the family members I was around, and I was embarrassed or irritated. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess it was very much I want to fit in or, you know, what you said. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think I've done it because I would say because I got a lot of attention when people found out that I was mix Mexican or that I spoke Spanish, um, it was embarrassing to me. And I, it was frustrating because they always, like, like I'm not a puppet. I'm not like, oh, look at you, do a trick. Like, like speak Spanish, monkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> that's how I felt, even though they may not have been trying to make me feel that way. So I never, 
I would never do that. Like my family member would notice her surroundings and try to speak to those surroundings of uh, culture. Sure. I would always want to make sure that they didn't know mm. because I didn't want that feeling of, okay, monkey speak, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So I just wish sometimes I had a button or a, a pin. <laughs> be like, once you found out, it gave all the answers to the questions I know you're about to ask me. <laughs> Like, so. like what? What kind of, besides, do you oh, speak Spanish? Oh, how did or? you learn how to speak Spanish? Mm. What? You're Mexican? What part of Mexico? Wow, that's amazing. And you speak it so well. Like, <laughs> it was my first language. Of course I speak it well. <laughs> but it has left me a little because I did marry a white guy and I don't see my Hispanic family as often um, as I did when I was younger. And so I don't speak it very often. But, so I have found myself once in a while like, oh crap. How do you say that again? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> something easy like bread or something, which I know how to say bread, but I'm just saying it, it seemed, it but seems to though. be pan. Okay? <laughs> yes. It seems to be fleeting because I don't use it. So it's mm-hmm. definitely the true use it or lose it dynamic, even though it was my first language. Mm-hmm. So. Do you think or dream in Spanish or do you think and oh dream in English? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. <laughs> Let me tell you. I have had to explain this to Doug a million times. But in my head, when I'm thinking about something, have a thought, running my grocery list through my head, checking off what I need to do for the day, it is bilingual. Every day, all day, all the time. Thinking about doing this podcast with you, every other sentence is in every other (laughs) language. It really is. Like, I could say one sentence in my head, talking to myself. I don't have voices in my head. I'm just saying, like... (laughs) running through what I need to do. I can totally say it in both languages. And there are things that I don't know how to say in English. And there are things that I don't know how to say in Spanish. But I was just having this conversation last night when I was at dinner with some family members that I've never known how to describe the little things that are on your tongue if you like eat something sour and it hurts or something. Like taste buds? Not not taste buds, but when it hurts, it's like a pimple or something. It's like t- when your teeth are swollen. Yeah. Yeah. In Spanish, it's called a grano, and I've never known to know. I've never known what to call it in English. Hmm. And so I asked my aunt that last night. I was like, "What do you call that in English? I don't know." She's like, "Like a tongue pimple." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I guess." So is that what you call a grano? Is a tongue pimple? Sure. Okay. I don't know. Swollen taste bud. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, there's just things like that where, in my head, I only know it in one dialect, in one language yeah um but when i'm running through my to-do list or (laughs) thinking about my day or getting ready to go to sleep at night it's very much bilingual all the time and i had to explain that to doug once and he was like what i'm like i don't know i mean i wonder if that's because you started learning english so early Mm -hmm. that your brain just bounces back and forth all the time whereas if you spoke Mm -hmm. spanish until you were say 15, mm-hmm. I would think, I don't know, but I would think that your automatic thought would be in Spanish and you'd have to translate it. I don't know. Instead of when, you know, you're so young, they say, so easy for that would be young people. For someone to do a study on or something, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably even have. like, if I'm standing at the sink, doing dishes or whatever, and I'm having an internal conversation with myself about whatever is going we on. we all do. Yeah, we all do that. Sometimes it's all in one language or all in the other or totally both. And I don't know why that is. And I think it's been recently, like maybe over the last year, that I even recognized it. Mm. I didn't even know I was doing it until <laughs> something like this came up. That's why I was so I'm excited when you asked I didn't ask you before this. I know, because I'm like, well, I didn't even know that I was doing it until someone 
ask me. So, and I think that might be something that anyone who knows more than one language could maybe attest to. Wouldn't that be crazy if someone who's like quadrilingual or whatever the word is? That's probably about the right word. Quadling, four languages in their mind. <laughs> um, maybe they do that. That'd be weird. Maybe. How'd you keep up with your own? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, again, I, I wonder if it depends on how early you learned it. Probably. And if you're using it constantly, both languages all the time, like mm -hmm. you would have been, mm -hmm. as opposed to learning it and using it only in a certain context. Mm -hmm. You know? Maybe. Maybe. But, yeah. Circling back to the cultural part of it, going to school and learning English and coming home, and then obviously in my older years, like middle school, high school, whatever, all I spoke was English outside of the house. But you get home, and, and all you speak, speak is Spanish. Yeah. yeah. So... I wondered how it was for you growing up in rural Idaho, because when I'm sure most peop white people think about rural America, mm -hmm. they think white America, mm -hmm. the flyover states, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Idaho is pretty close to the West Coast still, mm -hmm. and there obviously are immigrants and different minorities everywhere mm -hmm. in the country, mm -hmm. um, and I think in where you live is actually a pretty high population. Mm -hmm. Um, but how, how do you think that's different or do you have, you, you lived in California for a little while if I remember. I did. So um, how is that different from living kind of urban versus rural, the country um, life? Although you're still kind of in the suburbs though. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm out in the suburbs now, but, um, okay, so I lived in California in my early childhood and I knew I was different not only because I looked like a white girl but spoke Spanish. But also because if I remember as clearly as I can, I was the only white girl mm. in the school. And not because there were Hispanics everywhere, but because there was African Americans everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so me and um, this other little boy, I think his name was Chan, um, he was Vietnamese. And he and I developed a friendship because we were the only two people that didn't look like everyone else. My teachers the fellow students, everyone. And so, but as a young child, um, I don't know that I noticed too much. I mean, him and I noticed. That's why I think we became such good friends because we gravitated towards each other because we were different, but not in a negative way. Like we didn't think anything less or any, that we were any less or that anyone else was any less because we all looked different. It was just obvious that we were the only two different people. <laughs> um, but then going to, to Idaho, because I also lived in Washington, for a long while mm. before I came back to Idaho and the area of Washington that I lived in was highly populated by Hispanic people. Was that Eastern um, Washington? Maybe Yakima area? Yeah. In that area. And there was also a lot of Indian, uh, Native American people mm -hmm. in that area too. But And then coming to Idaho, um, there was a lot of white people in high school. There was Mexicans and there was different cultures, but more prominently white. But I don't know that I, that really affected me in any which way because I grew up in a lot of different households in a lot of different places. Mm. And so I think things like that really didn't faze me because I had been exposed to so many different things. Now, had I grown up in one place with one set of cultural people up until college and then like went across state and <laughs> like, whoa, or not across state, across the country in like different cultures. Yeah. It might have affected me differently or maybe it would have phased me differently, but it didn't really from an early age never really faced me because I moved around so much. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I, I grew up in a bubble Yeah, here in western Washington and um, there was a few, we had a few African-American students in our school, mm -hmm. but 
and it, and we're right next to a reservation, so we did. But even then, there wasn't that many mm -hmm. native kids in our school, and it was a huge school, so mm -hmm. it was uh, you know it had to be ninety percent white and fairly rural. Mm -hmm. And then when I joined the army, I mean that was yeah, I I had had be. friends of color growing up, so mm -hmm. I hadn't thought anything of it because. Not that there doesn't exist racism in Washington. Of course there does. There is. But um, it's not as out in the open. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to a different state, it was completely culture shock. That it was just out there and it still existed. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, I ended up going to Tennessee and Alabama and that, those areas. And I was just like, what? This yeah. is this is 2000 or 2000 yeah. what you know however many years and they still burn crosses like that's I a know, thing I thought I that was done in the 60s but you know, colored people clearly don't forget that happened yeah. and it was disheartening to me that I didn't know it yeah. had happened you know I had lived in this bubble that it didn't exist because I didn't see it uh -huh. and that it was done and it clearly is not done so yeah. and I think also like hearing you say that and how it's still it made me think of what I did notice when I was around different cultures in the different high schools because, it's, and this is just my observation, I'm not trying to put any stereotypes on any culture, but I remember thinking that there was a group of Hispanic boys and they were, um, you know, they'd have the flannel and they'd only button the top and they'd walk around with their little dicky shorts and their macho and they, mm -hmm. like, you don't want to... Yes, like, they're, like, tough guys like don't mess with them mm -hmm. and then you had the hispanic group of girls that had like lip liner and sharpie eyebrows is what i call them and they're like mean and the curly black hair and um but then you had your football playing jocks that were you know p-r-i-c-k's most of the time <laughs> And then you had your ditzy cheerleader group, which I was a cheerleader, but I was not that cheerleader. <laughs> um, and then you had your goths and your nerds and your bands and all that stuff. Your but typical high school. Yeah, your trope. high school cliques, yeah. but specifically to culture. Um, it never really phased me because, honest to goodness, I was friends with everybody. But with you asking me that question, it sparks my memory of, well, yeah, I guess there was different stuff going on. Um, mm -hmm. I have a cousin who, well, he's one of the oldest cousins um, that we have, and in my line, because I have nine aunts from my mom's side, um, and so I have like 5,000 cousins. <laughs> I'm basically related to our little small town in Idaho, but he wasn't, I have a lot of cousins who were the first description that I gave you of the, the tough Mexican man guy that you don't cross. Mm -hmm. um, that would say there's the majority of the group. Maybe what you witnessed today from the guy who wasn't very kind. He just, yeah. his stance yeah. and his demeanor. Definitely. I grew up with a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But I do have a cousin. Uh, I, you might have met him at my wedding. I don't remember. But he is very smart. And he never played into that. I never, maybe he was at one point in his adolescence growing up. But I never saw him to be that way. He was smart, he wore glasses, he was well-spoken, he was kind to his mother. Um, and today he's, I don't want to give his profession, but hes he works in a profession where he is very smart and he has a lot of degrees, masters, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, which isn't your stereotypical dynamic of the Hispanic culture. Not to say that there's not Hispanics out there that are really smart and have well-to-do jobs. 
but that's not what I remember seeing in my family and my household and I just think that's great that he didn't follow suit in what is the majority of what I see in my family dynamic mm -hmm. but it's not your norm it's not typical yeah and and it brings to mind things that I've learned about in you know throughout my education where how much of that is due to oppression yeah. generational oppression mm -hmm. generational trauma and is it I don't want to say it's not possible to rise above that it mm -hmm. certainly is obviously mm -hmm. your cousin did it but how much of it is such a hard climb it's not just oh well, I'm sure he faced a lot of challenges yeah. because of and he doesn't look white like I do. <laughs> so he didn't get that white privilege thing that you talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. He looks very much like a Mexican. So yeah. I bet you he did have mountains to climb. Yeah, he probably had to try ten mm -hmm. times harder to get where he got. Yeah. As opposed to other people that may have just had that advantage automatically. Even if it's living in a better neighborhood or mm -hmm. having both parents in the house. Mm -hmm. or And again, not saying white people don't uh, do that. Absolutely yes, caveat. Yes, that's, yes. that's in every culture. But... There's these things that happen in these generations mm -hmm. that it's been going on because of the culture and society of our country. And, you know, yeah. you can't say it doesn't happen. It happens. And yeah. it's not fair. No, it's not. And I will say I've been, I've had a question from people who um, eventually get to know me pretty well and have had the privilege of hearing how I've grown up and my background culturally and just the dynamics of how I grew up. And I get the question a lot. How did you rise above it? How did, no, how did you turn out so good? Mm. Well, I don't know that <laughs> I'm a janitor at a church, and I don't know that being a janitor qualifies me as saying I turned out so good. But it doesn't mean that my job defines who I am. But I did not fall into the, what is the word I'm looking for? The same habits, routines that was presented to me mm -hmm. as a child. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of family members that they were shown a lifestyle that wasn't a positive one. In and out of jail, drugs, things like that, abuse. Right. And unfortunately, watching it now that I'm older, a lot of my family members, a lot of my cousins have followed suit in those footsteps. Mm -hmm. And I get that question a lot. How did you not? How did you not follow that? How did you turn out so good? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know the answer to that. All I know is that I chose to make sure that I didn't do those things. I chose to see those things and think, okay, I just learned what not to do, mm -hmm. you know. And I don't know why the other people didn't do that. I can't, I can't answer to that, but that is one thing that, yes, I look white, yes, I'm half Hispanic, but I was still exposed to all that stuff mm -hmm. and still chose to try my best to rise above it. And not a lot of people in my family did, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, had that conversation before that. That's heavy and that sucks for them. And I just learned that I didn't want to be that way. Mm -hmm. so. And then there's my cousin who also grew up in that kind of stuff and does look like a Mexican and he rose above it too. And mm -hmm. not to say that he and I are the only ones that did. There's a lot of us that are fine and we made it sure. out okay. <laughs> but um, it's just sad to see that sometimes it does get followed in. And mm -hmm. What do you do? Yeah, it's frustrating for me to hear white privileged males especially say things like, well, you know, they'll use some example that's a clear minority of an example of someone that did something like that mm -hmm. in any, you know, in any minority population. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, well, so-and-so did it, 
So anyone can. Well, no, not anyone can. If you grew up in the projects, mm -hmm. or you grew up on food stamps, mm -hmm. you grew up in a single parent household, you grew up with family members in jail, you grew up with this lifestyle that you were exposed to, it's not that easy to just choose. It's difficult. Yeah, and that is frustrating when you, what you're talking about because um, I could easily be like, oh, well, I'm going to be on welfare and I'm going to live in the projects and I'm going to live in a trailer court and I'm going to do all these things because my childhood sucked. Right. And it's all because of how I was brought up or, oh, well, these things happened to me, so you can't blame me for my bad choices. Mm -hmm. um, I call BS because... A lot of crap did happen to me, and I chose to not let that define me and do better so that my kids had a better outlook on things, and they didn't have to see it, too. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's another reason subconsciously now, looking back, as to why I didn't want to follow in those footsteps, because I didn't want my children to see it that way and think that that's what their future was going to look like, too. Mm -hmm. And not to say that we're, you know, this perfect, well-functioning family. We got our crap, too, but, <laughs> you know, just, you always want better for your kids. So yeah. Yeah. What, what is your least favorite question, especially of white people asking you, do you think? Can you think well, of something? Least favorite? It's not <coughs> so much that... Most annoying? Most annoying is... Um, how, how did you, you turn out so good? That one, yeah. Because <laughs> I don't, like, it's almost like embarrassing. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't turn out that good. Like, I still have crap, but it's just maybe because it's been asked so much that it would be my least favorite because it's so frequent. Um, it's the, the same with, no way, you're Mexican? How did you learn how to speak Spanish so well? Like, and I wouldn't say it's like, it's only my least favorite because it's the one I get asked the most. Mm. So, I think that anyone could say that for a question that they get asked all the time. Yeah. Well, speaking about speaking Spanish, <laughs> okay. obline, if you will, mm -hmm. we've had quite a bit of conversation about teaching your children mm. to speak Spanish. I wondered when that was going to come out. Oh, you knew it was going to come out yeah. because I harp on you constantly. And I think I harp on you so much because I am now in my 40s and wish that I would have learned Spanish when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I know how much easier it is for young brains to process and learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, I, I looked up some statistics that talks about, in you know, we're in 2018 right now, the mm -hmm. end of it. In 2040 or 2045, depending on what report you read, whites in America are supposed to become the minority and the Hispanic population is supposed to be 25%. So at some point, regardless of legal and Im illegal immigration, which I would like to ask you about a little bit later, you know, a large percentage of the population speaks Spanish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, English may be our national language. I don't think we even actually have a national language, but... <laughs> You know, we speak English. Yeah. English is kind of adopted throughout the world as the common language. Mm -hmm. But to be able to speak Spanish, especially in hospice, in my profession, mm -hmm. or counseling, mm -hmm. to be able to help someone because I could speak their language is enormous to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I am here to help people. I don't care if they don't speak my language, but I can't speak their language, so I have to bring an interpreter with me. So I find people to be that are they're bilingual to have this amazing skill and gift and so I get frustrated I with know, you because you didn't teach your kids Spanish and so I wondered if you might speak a little bit to me about why you haven't done that and are you gonna <laughs> well dang it Hallie now I gotta run home and do it right now <laughs> Jeez, um, I don't have an excuse to that but I will say 
My oldest child does speak Spanish well. If you ask him, yes. Interesting. Did I, didn't I teach know that. him that? No. <laughs> <laughs> but he is in <coughs> class, in school. He, okay. He's taking Spanish, has taken Spanish and is taking more Spanish this year. And he comes to me all the time and um, asks me questions and asks me how to pronounce things and things like that. And I'll circle back to that in just a second. But Henry and my younger children have asked me how to say things in Spanish all the time. And I will answer them. Do I speak it to them directly? Because the way I learned it is just like how any child learns how to speak any language. When it's they're everything in your household is That's spoken Spanish. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you look at something, you point at it, you describe it, you say it in the language that you speak. Right. So that's how I learned it. That is not how my children have been growing up. They grow in a household where our dominant language is English. Right. So could I take the time to also do it with them in Spanish? Absolutely. I find it hard to do that when I don't have another person to have a dialogue with. Mm. Um, just like randomly like pointing at things and saying their names in Spanish. I could do that, and I have done that. I hope they retain it. <laughs> but another reason why um, is because speaking with my oldest on when he has questions for me in his Spanish class and stuff, I don't always have the right answer because my dialect of Spanish is very broken. It is not textbook Spanish. It is not I was going to um, ask you about correct. that. How different is that? It's very different. And let me tell you how different. <laughs> you were speaking earlier about a profession, uh, any profession where it's needed to have somebody who speaks your language. I, um, my five-year goal, maybe shorter, is to be an interpreter for a hospi any hospital, like medical industry, I should say. Which makes me so excited, by the way. I know, I'm excited about it too. <laughs> but in preparation for that, I've taken some courses on it. And the first course I took was more to teach me how to be an interpreter for a medical industry and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously it had a lot of language involved. And I quickly learned while taking this 40-hour course that I speak very broken Spanish. <laughs> very broken. So broken that I had a exercise during this class where we had to role play. And I had to interpret for a woman who had just given birth. And she was trying to get discharged from the hospital. And I apologize, this might get weird, but if anybody listening has ever given birth, you know you can't leave the hospital until you have a bowel movement. Oh, yeah. So, and there's a lot of things that you might have medically that you can't leave until that happens because they want to make sure your insides are working. Mm -hmm. And so I had to interpret for a woman who was trying to tell the nurse yes or no, if she's had a bowel movement yet. So I interpreted for the nurse to the patient. Um, the question or the, the sentence from the nurse was, have you had a bowel movement yet? And so I had to ask the patient that. I don't know or didn't at the time know how to say bowel movement. So I said it the only way I knew how. Have you taken a shit? Yes. <laughs> no, but more so, <coughs> did you shit yourself? Oh. And that's how it came out to the person that was role playing <laughs> the patient. And luckily for me, I'm the, sorry to laugh. I know it's embarrassing. So the woman who was playing the patient role spoke very good Spanish in a very textbook way. And so when I said it the way I thought I should say it, because it's the only way I knew how to say it, she lost her mind. She was laughing so hard because <laughs> technically I asked her, "Did you shit yourself?" Instead of asking her, "Did you have a bowel movement?" Right. Because I didn't know the correct way to say it. <laughs> So that just can attest to the fact that I speak very broken Spanish. 
but you know what? Put me, take me to Mexico. I will get you where you need to go. Sure. I can have conversations left and right. It just doesn't always in the most textbook dialect. Yeah. A conversational is Spanish is very different than is. technical Spanish. It is. And so there's another reason why I am hesitant to just flat out teach because I feel like an educated teacher in the language <laughs> will do a much better job than I will. So needless to say, I'm taking another course, maybe a few more courses, before I try to get certified in being an interpreter because how embarrassing would that be where I'm in <laughs> a session and I'm like, <coughs> so that would be well, my answer. I will just put my two cents in here about interpreters. I love our interpreters. I'm so thankful that we have that service. I've had many different experiences with many different interpreters. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the ones I've had the best success with were ones that either were English speaking originally and went to learn Spanish or like you they it wasn't something that was always their native language because I find that they forget that interpreter role and they start speaking to the patient just to relate or just to relate which I had happened to me the other day okay. which is not okay as an interpreter you no, learn. you're not supposed to do that <laughs> you're supposed to be on the side not engaged fly on the wall you are yes. just the mm -hmm. interpreter and I've had other people say things and not translate back to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's not okay. Not okay. Yeah. And, you know, this is, you know, we're talking about hospice here. Yeah. But any medical situation, yeah. especially, that's important for Very important. not only the person, the medical professional, but the patient to know. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not relaying the information, not only as I've said it, but in a way that's more slang. It leaves a lot of room for interpretation that could be very yes. detrimental to whatever situation you're in. Yes. Now, I will say there's been translators that have, that will say, um, and because there's so many different dialects of Spanish, mm -hmm. they will say, they said X, Y, and Z. What I think they meant was yes. blah, blah, blah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Please do that. Yeah. Because I have no way of knowing. Mm -hmm. And if they're trying to communicate something to me, and I don't understand what they're saying because mm -hmm. they've said it in a certain way, Yes, please do that mm -hmm. and and clarify what they mean because I need to know what they actually right. mean. But yeah. Well, in my case, the patient is saying, "I think you meant to ask me, did right. I have a bowel movement?" <laughs> but yes, there's yeah. <coughs> I so love to that. Answer so that much. question. <laughs> that is why I look forward to being an interpreter someday, though. Maybe right. I get to work with you someday. I'm so, well, you have to move back here. That's or you can move that way. Yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. So. Also speaking Spanish, um, I remember you telling me a story about a job you had where it had been something that you put on your resume, mm -hmm. but then they ended up using you as an interpreter when that wasn't actually your job title. Mm -hmm. And I can absolutely see both sides of that, right? The, mm -hmm. the job is saying, you put this as a skill, mm -hmm. why can't we use this? Yes. And at the same time... You're saying, this is an extra skill. You didn't hire me for this, and I should be paid for it, mm -hmm. which is absolutely fair. Mm -hmm. So could you speak a little bit to that where you feel like you're being used for your Spanish-speaking ability? Yeah. Well, I guess the way you just said it, as an outsider looking into it not having happened to you, 100%. I put on my resume that I was bilingual, that I spoke Spanish. I believe that had a giant factor in hiring me for that position. So they should very well ask me to use that skill because I listed it. Mm -hmm. um, as the employee, 
I was the only person that could do that, and I felt like, okay, well, if I'm going to help your company in this beneficial way, mm -hmm. every day, all day, else, yeah, every day, all day, the way nobody else in this office can, right? I deserve compensation for that. Mm -hmm. um, so, as an outsider looking in, I do see both sides. I still do see both sides as the person that it happened to, but I didn't feel like it was fair. So mm -hmm. that's where feeling like I got taken advantage of absolutely played a part because. I, I still think they should have paid me more. I yeah. think that would have been the right thing to do. I still had to take those calls regardless because I was in the most roundabout way told, if you don't, you could lose your job because you listed it. Mm -hmm. I guess it just kind of um, also taught me a lesson that if I ever apply for another job someday, I may not put that on there. I don't know. Because or or maybe bring I it up maybe and say, if you're going to use me, this is a skill I have. Yes. If you're going to use that I'll skill, yeah. <coughs> I feel like I need to be compensated for it. Right, for sure. Yeah. Um, because I don't want it to not get me the job if they didn't know I could and it would right. have gotten me the job. Right. Um, but I also want to be very clear that if you need me for this special skill set that I bring that no one else in here can, mm -hmm. then I would like to be compensated for that. Yeah. So that was frustrating. And, and it didn't happen right away. I had worked for them for like five years mm -hmm. before all of a sudden because... In that area that I worked in, in the um, city, uh, the, pop the Hispanic population grew quite mm. a bit. So over that five years, um, taking phone calls from people became more and more and more where they were like, oh my gosh, we need someone to translate. Or at least and instead of hiring an interpreter or they hiring someone that it me because I could speak it. Yeah. Right. And I just didn't feel like that was fair. So I actually had this conversation with another white person. White. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just a few days ago, I was explaining this scenario, and they they had an experience where they witnessed another coworker that had said no, they didn't, they weren't going to do that, and it was actually in a medical setting. Okay. <clears throat> and they uh, initially had thought, well, that's not cool. You know, you should be helping these people. Mm -hmm. And as I explained the situation, they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's not fair to put them in that position when they weren't hired for that. Right. Right. Yeah. And maybe that person that was being asked to do that, maybe they didn't feel comfortable because maybe their dialect was not right. up to par. Or maybe, you know, they hadn't spoken it in forever, and so they're afraid they might not say what they should say correctly. I'm so. sorry you're hearing Eric, Eric. in the background. <laughs> I, I thought my rooster was going to be quiet, but of course he's going to speak oh, up at the last Eric. minute. Sure. Say it, say it in Spanish, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> What's, what does a rooster say in Spanish? Does it sound different? Is it still cock a doodle doo? Cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> <laughs> With a tongue roll. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You cracked me up. Oh, goodness. Okay. So, um, I guess lastly. Well, not lastly. I have two more questions. Okay. Because this is getting kind of long. Okay. Sorry. Uh, so, I used to think, and this is kind of wrapping it back around to growing up in a bubble. I used to really wish that everyone would just, uh, pardon for being blunt, would just screw everyone else, and then we'd all end up a nice tan golden brown. And then we couldn't fight, right? Because we'd be all the same color. And that, that would get rid of everything, right? Well, that would just solve the whole piece. <laughs> but, of course, as I've gotten older and gotten more education and more exposure mm -hmm. to different cultures and different people, and a very extremely wise woman that we both know, mm. Grandma, mm -hmm. um, said how boring would it be uh, if the world was all the same. Yeah. Super and boring. It really would be. I really... We wouldn't even have a reason to have this conversation. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have a reason to have this podcast. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> uh, I really focus on that, especially when I find people 
of different opinions than me, different outlooks than me, different political opinions than me. I really keep that in the back of my mind all the time. Really, it's more in the forefront of my mind, mm -hmm. not only for my job in hospice, but just in general relating to people, mm -hmm. is that we can't all be the same. The reason that we're great is that we're different. Mm -hmm. And those differences are beautiful. And I think they come with a sense of pride. Yeah. Um, and the only thing that comes to my mind right now is now that my children are a little bit older, especially my oldest, he's proud to tell people that he's a quarter Mexican. Because I'm half Mexican and half Irish. Yeah. So he's a quarter Mexican. He's proud to tell people that. And does he look Mexican? No. He's darker <laughs> skin than I am. He's olivey. But he just looks tan. Yeah, he just looks like he's always tan. Right. Um, my younger ones don't necessarily look like that. Bernie's pretty white. But they are slowly, like Henry, he's seven. He knows that he's got Mexican heritage. And he's, he hasn't really like gotten into it very deep. But he asks me how to say stuff in Spanish all the time. They don't see me speak Spanish very often. Maybe that's something I can work towards. But... The price is there. Mm -hmm. And they don't look Mexican. They're not growing up in a household <laughs> that has the cultural stuff of Mexican. I mean, I make Mexican food all the time. They watched me make a ton of tamales this last week. Get that you didn't bring me any, by the way. But, <laughs> so they see it, and it gives them pride. So, yes, it's beautiful because it makes us all individually unique, and I find that there's a sense of pride behind it. Yeah. So I like that. I mean, maybe some people aren't proud to claim some sort of their ethnic background, but I find the majority are. You know, if you're super Mexican, you're proud of that. If you're really Irish, you're proud of that. If you're, okay. <laughs> that can get a little weird, but, you know, it's beautiful, and I think it's prideful, too. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. Pride doesn't always have to be a bad word. No, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Well, lastly, I saved the hardest for last. I know. I know it's coming. I know you're coming. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> since we're talking about individuals in America, the mm -hmm. melting pot. America. America mm -hmm. uh, and rural living mm -hmm. and different opinions. Mm -hmm. I want to just kind of end this conversation talking about immigration. Okay. So, again, no judgment, mm -hmm. no right or wrong, mm -hmm. just an opinion. Okay. So, what are your thoughts? Uh, multiple things legal versus illegal immigration, how immigrants have changed the landscape of America. Mm -hmm. Could we even survive without immigrants in this country, even if we were able to yeah, snap our fingers and they all disappeared? Okay. Illegal. You have to remind me of these three different versions of the Well, this is kind of a general yeah. overview. Because I, I do have an opinion on all three of those. I just okay. didn't want you to ask me like seven more. And then no, no, no. And just, <laughs> just one more. Okay. And then this rhetoric about the caravan. I'm sure you've heard about, you haven't heard about the caravan? No. So before the midterm elections, mm -hmm. our president, mm -hmm. Mr. Trump, mm -hmm made big deals on Twitter and TV and whatnot that there was this giant horde of immigrants coming up from, I believe they started in Honduras, and he was saying that there were Middle East terrorists in this group, that there were... Is this recent or when he yes, got elected? No, this is oh, just... Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I feel same, like I've seen pieces on the news. So okay. Same rhetoric, but worse, okay. um, about how... All these people are criminals, and they're all coming up to do whatever, do whatever, okay. being nefarious. Okay. And this caravan has been coming up through uh, Guatemala, I think, and then Mexico. I'm sorry, I'm terrible, 
terrible about geography. I am too, so I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and I think they're, the, the first part of them are just getting to the border. And he actually sent the military to the border. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. Okay. So all of those things. Okay. All right. I'm trying not to have an opinion. I'm I know. just to give you the facts. I know. Thank you. I appreciate that because <laughs> I want to develop my own opinion. Yes. The first thing I will say is I feel like I can read your body language and what you might feel <laughs> on this topic, but at the end of the day, I love you. Just know that. I love you too. Okay. Um, I just don't think that we see eye to eye on it, which is going to make a very interesting conversation. And that's, so that's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear first, someone that just thinks yeah. like me. No. So... The very first thing I'll touch on is the last part of that question. First of all, I feel like I need to learn more about it before I can have a really good opinion on it. Fair. Because I just learned about it. Right. Obviously. But from what you just told me, I I hope that there's not a caravan of terrorists heading towards America. Because that sounds <laughs> right? awful. Right. Um, if President Trump is sending the military there to keep them from entering our country... As much as he was the lesser of two evils, I feel like he's doing what he thinks is best for America. So if he truly has some sort of intel and knowledge that these people are bad people, then he should protect America by sending our military there. Are they bad people? I don't know. Probably not. But is he doing it to have attention because he wants everyone to know that he's going to build a wall and he's serious about it? I bet you that's a little bit of his agenda. But we don't, I don't know if he doesn't have an actual factual list that these people are going to terrorize America. Because guess what? Stuff like that has been happening in our country where we have been giving people the benefit of the doubt. And then they run into the trade towers or something. So I hope that he's doing it solely to protect America. And as far as the military going being sent down there, when you t I'm not in the military so I can't speak to this. But I feel like if you take an oath to protect America. I think it's part of that, the word you swear. All, I think all that's enemies, foreign and domestic. Yes, yes, that you will follow what the leader of our country asks you to do. Unless it's an unlawful order, yes. Right, yes. So, <laughs> I they will, have I to. I will say that, um, two things about that to clarify. Okay. There's been no mention of it since the election. Mention of what? The caravan. Okay. So, a lot of people, particularly on the left, I think, okay. um, believe it was really rhetoric not that the caravan doesn't exist it does there are people coming up there seeking asylum okay from what i've heard um and you're right i don't have the information maybe there is intel but there's been no talk about it since the election okay and the military is not allowed to engage in them directly they're just supporting border patrol so okay. just fyi okay on those facts you know i just i i want to give the benefit of the doubt and if he feels like our country is at risk and he sent our military down there to do that then awesome make sure that we're safe but i don't know that that's all what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, and and fair. You don't know about it. You haven't heard about it. Right. So yeah. I don't expect you to have a fully formed opinion on yeah. that anyway. Um, then I've already lost the first three parts of the question. <laughs> Illegal versus legal Im immigration. I 100% feel like you need to take the steps to become a legal resident. Um, I don't know what those steps are because I was fortunate enough to be born as a legal resident. Um, I feel like it's not that hard, but again, I don't know. So maybe it is really hard to get that process going. But I do think that if you really want to come here for a better life, which I don't even know if that's what you're going to get, but if you have that dream of coming to America and starting a better life for yourself, please do it, but do it legally. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, don't... I think the challenge, I don't want to cut off your thought, yeah, keep yeah. that in your head. 
I think the challenge that a lot of people hear about is when people hear about Ill illegal immigration, they think about people, only people crossing the border illegally. When uh, the statistics that I've seen, and I don't have it in front of me, are that most people come here legally with like a visa, yeah. and then it expires and they don't leave. Okay. So, still illegal. I yeah. totally agree with you. They yeah. should be taking steps to, to process, yeah. but I just want to clarify for people, when they think about illegal immigration, it's not just people crossing the border. Right. It's that they may have gotten here illegal and just stayed. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's any country, not just Mexico. I don't, exactly, yeah, it is any country. I just think that, mm, I don't know the percentage-wise, I'm just guessing, but I think people come here for a reason mm -hmm. because they're running from something that really sucked and they don't want that anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're America. Come to America so that you can be free and develop your own life free of the oppression that you might have come from. Mm -hmm. But I do still think that it needs to be done legally uh, for a lot of reasons. Like, if you're going to come here and be illegal, but then somehow try to apply for state benefits or assistance like that, it takes away from people that are legal that, and that's a whole other topic we can get into. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. You can yeah, I'm like, that That whole thing <laughs> irritates me. Since, since we're almost at an hour, let's maybe leave that for yeah, a yeah. different okay. podcast. Okay. So I think <laughs> legal versus illegal Please try your best to become legal. Yeah. That's all I think on that. So, what's another part of the question? Well, I was mentioning, do you think if we could snap our fingers and get rid of all illegal immigrants at this very moment, would our economy even survive? Because... No, I don't. That's the trouble. I think that there are people who were born here who will continue to be lazy and not try to take the jobs of the people who are working hard for those jobs, regardless if they're legal or not. Which, if they're illegal, who's going to do their job? Hopefully, people step in and do it, but I don't. That's never going to happen. Right. So, um, <laughs> no, I don't think that our economy will survive because I grew up in a household of people who worked their fingers down to the bone, and hardest working people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, so I can't say for sure. But maybe some of them were illegal. Mm -hmm. I don't know though. In, I was too young to know that. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that big of an issue when I was younger. Now it's a big issue. So. Right. But I will say there was a lot of farm workers and a lot of field workers and a lot of jobs that some movies make fun of that men just stand there waiting for a contractor to come and say, I need two dudes. Like, that was real. Mm -hmm. And they worked hard. Yeah. And so will our economy survive without those hard workers? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough because those people that work in the farms, mm -hmm. especially, mm -hmm are subjected to ridiculous things that they with don't have <laughs> with not much pay and not protections. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I can't remember if it was um, Frontline or one of those kind of programs, this American Life type program, that talked about rape in the fields and Whoa. how, yeah, Suck. and all these women. I never women, thought of that. Yeah. All these women were being harassed and raped and, and abused, wow. not only by the other uh, immigrants, but mm -hmm. by the people that were paying them. Yeah. Because they had no recourse. No they couldn't tell anyone. And you know, to, to speak to that a little bit, I know of a story where a gentleman worked for a company, but he wasn't legal, and there was an accident with the equipment, and he passed away. Yeah. And he, his wife and children didn't get, they might have gotten something, but they didn't get what a white man who was legal would have gotten because you know that she would have sued the crap out of them mm -hmm. and gotten millions because right. it was a, a company company. Right. But because... They're expendable, yes, quote unquote. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I know that 
you know, a wife, a human being woman lost her human being husband, mm -hmm. and she doesn't get any help after that. Yeah. And that's what it is, a human being. Exactly. So, yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't even think about the field thing. Yeah. Hell, Aside so. from chemicals and every other problem they're dealing with. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, okay. it's a good reminder to the listeners and yeah. to everyone that, you know, they may be listening to this and yeah. I'm a social worker, so yeah. it's likely that I'm left leaning, but yeah. it's important to hear other people's opinions and realize that yeah. they're not coming from a bad place. No. They're human beings. Yeah. And You're I, saying I, this, not I, me. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to say, it's funny to me that you save this question for last because it was the one I was afraid of the most because if anybody in my family in my Hispanic side of my family were to know how I feel about illegal immigrants they would be appalled I think I think I don't know I don't know how everybody feels but so I was leery to give my opinion of that I don't think we should have illegal people in America and they need to get legal that's my opinion but if you were to ask any of the people that I traveled with here, mm -hmm. oh boy, it got weird in the car. I'm not going to lie. So <laughs> I knew to keep my mouth shut because yeah. they weren't going to like what I had to say. So I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to ask me the question. And but <laughs> How do you feel like, about it now that I've asked? I'm fine. I'm fine with it. And I'm, I'm honest. It's how I feel. Yeah. It's not, nobody swayed my opinion. It's how I feel. Yeah, and it's not wrong. My opinion's not wrong. Your opinion's not no. wrong. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I <coughs> think it's interesting, or they would find it interesting, that I feel this way mm. being Hispanic myself. Mm -hmm. And maybe the fact that I don't look at it plays a little bit of a part in that because I don't feel like I'm oppressed because I don't look Mexican. Right. So I, I have that benefit, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So anyway. I've been listening to uh, the John McCain book that came out right before he died, oh. The Restless Wave. Yeah. And man, I really underappreciated John McCain. I gotta say. Oh. I. Well, now I, I want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, but um, I forget what chapter it is. I'm a couple chapters in, but it talks about immigration. Okay. And you know, he was straight up Republican and on a border state. Okay. And he had some really progressive stances on immigration, and and what he talks about is humanizing them. Mm -hmm. They're not the enemy. We need them in this country. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a path for citizenship. Yes. Ship. There needs to be reform. How is there not an easier way now? Well, for people that are already here. Cause that too. Because yeah. his point is you're not ever going to deport everyone. Never. So let's that's face the fact that that's not going to happen and move forward. Mm -hmm. How do we get people that have been here for 20 years a path that can allow them to become citizens because they've been productive members of society and not had any crimes? Yes. People commit crimes. Mm -hmm. People of all races commit crimes. All of them. Not just Hispanic no, people. Get bored. Any, any race. Yeah. White people commit yes. plenty of crimes. All of them do. Get bored. Yeah. Yeah. Let's deport so. all the criminals. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Well, that's what Australia is. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding, Australia. Just, just kidding. So, um, <laughs> so, final thoughts yes. on anything we've talked about today. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, you know, I just appreciate you asking me these questions because, I don't know, as we've been sitting here talking, it brought back memories and it kind of made me think about things in a, a different level. So I appreciate that because I don't know that I would have thought more about it unless I would have been asked these questions. And I will have to say, I will leave with this thought. I will 100% try to teach my children <laughs> how to speak Spanish. <laughs> 
and a better effort than what I've given. Even Fair. even if it is my broken dialect of Spanish, at least they will know how to speak it. Whether it's if they ask somebody if they shit themselves or not. So, <laughs> I might I might save the bad words for another time, but I will try my best. That's what I'll take from this. Is it is huge. It is huge to know another language, and I know the value in that, and I will do my best to carry that through to my kids. Well, I just want to say how much I appreciate you being willing to talk to me about this. Mm -hmm. This is exactly the kind of conversation that I started this podcast for. Yeah. I don't want to just talk to people that sound like me or look like me or have the same political views as me. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is to be able to sit in this difference mm -hmm. and understand each other. And speak kindly <coughs> and respectfully and have a conversation, not an argument. Yes, yeah. exactly. I like it. We can coexist and not agree on every single thing. That's and true. it's okay. It is okay. I Any still love you. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I love you too. Yeah. So yeah. if anyone out there has any questions or comments, I am thrilled to be able to take those you can email us at contact at willallbedeadpodcast.com you can look us up on facebook at someday will all be dead and check out our website at willallbedeadpodcast.com and goodbye okay <laughs> 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 i just want to come back to you know that's why it's important to have these conversations yeah. because we only as as far as we know get one life if we get more lives that's awesome but mm. Uh, if we don't, we only have this one life. And is it really worth ruining a relationship or a friendship or a sisterhood over? No. Because you don't no. agree. That's just silly. Yeah. Someday we'll all be dead. So might as well be happy while we're alive. That's right. <laughs> Someday we'll all be dead. <laughs>